good morning, Journey Church. How are we doing? Good, good. Everyone's doing all right? Feeling okay? Yeah. Well, look, I know I'm not Pastor Jay. I don't look anything like him. Don't worry. He's, he's okay. He's fine. He's preaching somewhere else, doing a great job, of course. But my name is Blake. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you, I've uh, been on staff here at the church for a little bit. Me and my wife, Hannah, have been coming to this church for a very, very long time. Very long time. We met in the youth group. It was like four or five youth pastors ago, something like that. I don't know. It's just cycling through, man. Jeremy, Tyler. But uh, man, we love this church. We love being here. I work specifically with our life groups, so uh, I really have a vested interest in you signing up to be a life group host. I really want you to do that. So uh, if if you're interested, just no pressure, a little bit of pressure, no pressure uh, to sign up on that interest form. But uh, me and my wife, Hannah, have been married for two years now. She was the beautiful lady in that video you just watched. Uh, She is amazing, uh, and she realized really quickly that she married down, and I married up, and I won that deal. Uh, And but we have a great marriage, married for two years this summer. Uh, we love this church. We love you guys. We pray for you guys. Uh, very excited to be here with all of you and excited to jump right in. So uh, this is what we're going to do. We're continuing our series called Short Stories by Jesus. We're going to look at different parables or stories that Jesus told to kind of glean some wisdom from them and see what he has for our lives. So before we do that, let's go ahead and let's pray together, and then we will jump right in. Lord, we thank you so much for the power of your word, God, that when your word is proclaimed, when it is spoken, when it is read, that it never returns void. But God, we can trust that you work through your word. God, I pray that you would work in the hearts of your people today, that as we study this passage and this text, that you would open our eyes to see the glory of Jesus and that we would worship you and trust you more and more. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Well, before we jump right into the passage, I have to tell you a little bit something about myself, something that my close friends know very well, my wife can attest to. I am a nerd. I am a mega nerd. I'm talking Star Wars, Lord of the Rings nerd, okay? I love all things nerd, but what I love more than anything nerd is I love books. I absolutely love books. I could just sit there and look at a stack of books and just, oh, that's a good stack of books. I love the feel of books. I love the smell of books. I love to read books. So what that means is, is that I love bookstores. Anybody like bookstores, Barnes and Noble fans in here? A few more than last service. That's good. That's great. Good. Last service, they were like, Amazon only. But, you know, I love bookstores. So one of the things that I love to do is I love to go in a bookstore and, y'all, I could spend an hour and a half in a bookstore. I'll go down all the aisles. I'll open up all the books. I'll flip through the pages. I'll read the backs. I'll look at the author biographies. I'll see who published the books. I don't know. I love books. Now, one of the bookstores we love to go to is Barnes & Noble. Anyone goes to Barnes & Noble? So we go to the Barnes & Noble and Perkins Row sometimes, and, and I've figured out that if I tell my wife we're going to park in the Barnes & Noble parking lot, that means that we have to walk through Barnes & Noble to get to the shopping that we're supposed to be there for, right? So So she has her mindset, I have to go buy this, I have to get this, we're going to Charm and Charlie's, blah, 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 blah. She told me that was a store, so Charm and Charlie's, I don't know, it sounds interesting. But so, and my whole goal is to stay in the bookstore as long as possible before we make our way to the shopping trip. So I'm, I'm, I'm running up and down the aisles, and she's dragging me through. No, we, we came here for a reason. We didn't come here for books. You can't spend any more money on books. You spend your whole paycheck on books, basically. No, 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 books, books, books. But I love books, I really do. But what I've noticed over the years is something has changed in the landscape of books, not just Amazon putting everyone out of business, but something has changed. And when you go into a bookstore, there's a section of that bookstore that just keeps growing. You notice this? It's the self-help section. 
And if you notice, they'll name it different things. They can have like four or five different self-help sections. One's called lifestyle. One's called spirituality. One's called better living. And, and, And the whole idea is that as the bookstore industry declines, there's one part of it that isn't declining. It's the self-help section. It continues to grow and to grow and to grow. And actually, I was really curious about some of these self-help books. So uh, a few weeks ago, I looked at some titles of some self-help books that are available in bookstores today. And I wanted to share these with you because I thought they were interesting. So here we go. Here's the first one. Five simple steps to a brand new you. Uh, Doesn't that sound peaceful? A brand new me? Five steps? That's it? Just five? do one a day and I'm a whole new person. It's great. <laughs> that one sounds good. I mean, that, that could have some good, right? God can, can use some common grace and good things in there. But this one was really interesting. This one really caught my attention when I saw it. Seven steps to billionaire wealth. Yeah, right? I know everyone in here is like on their Amazon app. Like, let me go ahead and buy that one right now. That sounds good. I was very interested. My interest was peaked. I'll, I don't know about you, but if there's just seven steps to being a billionaire, I'll take those steps. I'll go take those steps right now. That's fine. But I did some research, and it turns out the author of this book, not a billionaire. Not a billionaire. I don't know. I don't know if he's on step five, maybe. Maybe he's on step six. He's not there yet. He hasn't, he hasn't crossed, but he knows the steps, right? I mean, he wrote a book. If you write a book, that means you're an expert, right, Ryan? You write a book, you're an expert on something. But this is my favorite one, and some, some of you country boys are going to appreciate this. It's my favorite one. Everything I know about women, I learned from my tractor. I'm not kidding. I'm not, you can go Google that right now. There is a book that has that. Everything I know about women, I learned from my tractor. That book must be empty. You know what I'm saying? Blank pages all the way through. I don't know. But the point is, right, as ridiculous as some self-help is, there is some that's helpful, right? There are things that we can glean from the common grace that God gives us in this world. There's knowledge that we have about eating healthy, about working out. But notice how self-help has taken over everything. If you're on Instagram, if you're on Facebook, if you read magazines, it's all full of self-help information. There's always a new trend, a new fad, a new diet that's going to promise to make you a better you by transforming the outside so that the inside falls in line. But here's the problem with self-help. As good as it may be and as much as it may help, self-help falls apart when life hits you in the face. When life gets hard, when storms arise and the boat begins to rock, all the steps that you learn from that book go straight out the window. And you're hanging on for dear life because you feel like you're about to sink. And I know for me, I've tried to employ a lot of different strategies in my life. And all of that is useless when you get hit with something. When life rocks you. And see, the world says that if you can just get the outside in order, then the inside will follow suit. And maybe for some of you, that's the Christianity that you were taught as a child. Man, if I can just work up enough good works to to make myself pleasing to God, then God will have to bless me like an ATM. I put the card in. He has to give me the money. God will have to bless me and accept me because I'm a good person. And so you're striving to work the outside to change the inside. And so today, our passage is going to deal all about transformation, and specifically transformation that transforms others, because we all want to make a difference. We all, we have this innate ability, this desire to want to change other people's lives. It's in all of us. We don't just want to transform ourselves. When we find a new diet, we want to tell our friend about it. When we see a movie that really moves us, we want to go tell them, our, our family about it, because we really enjoyed it. It changed us, and we want to see them change too. So, 
We're going to talk about transformation, and maybe, just maybe, the Jesus who tells us these stories has a better solution than the self-help section can provide. So we're going to be in John chapter 15 today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. Uh, You saw my wife read it before, but we are going to read it again in just a little bit. But um, one thing to say about this passage is uh, in order to understand a passage of Scripture, you have to understand its context, right? If you came into a conversation and heard me saying how horrible the saints are, you would think, oh, you don't like that Who That Nation? You ain't a Saints fan? Pastor Jeremy would punch me in the face, man. He's all about them saints. But maybe earlier in the conversation, we were talking about the saints in the 90s. And we can all agree they were horrible, right? I mean, <laughs> horrible. We win a Super Bowl this year, baby. Come on, Super Bowl. Lock and gold. Okay. But the context of the conversation is important to understand its meaning. And so to understand what Jesus is saying in John chapter 15, we have to understand where it falls in the story of his life. So theologians will, dis- will call this portion of Jesus' life the farewell discourse. The farewell discourse. And what that means is Jesus is sitting down, And our passage takes place right after the Last Supper. So he's sitting with his disciples, his closest friends gathered around him. He had just warned them that he's going to be beaten, abused, killed, mocked, that they are going to be scattered, afraid, that they're going to lose all hope. And before the darkest moment of their lives, this is the story that Jesus chooses to tell. And so as we look and we know, and many of you who've lived long enough know that storms will come in your life it might be important to see what Jesus said before the biggest storm of his life. So let's take a look at John chapter 15. We'll read it again together. We're starting in verse 1. Read all the way through verses 11. I am the true vine, this is Jesus speaking, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that you my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full beautiful passage of scripture. It basically preaches itself. That's why I chose it. It's an easy passage. But I love this passage of scripture. And so today what I want to do is I want to do something that I really enjoyed in school. I enjoyed a cheat sheet. Anybody like cheat sheets in school? Like you like to know the answers before you get the test, right? Like, oh, that sounds good. My wife's a teacher. She, she knows all about that. So I'm going to give you a cheat sheet today. If you don't get anything else out of this message, you can take this one point and go home with it, okay? We're going to talk about what the main point of this passage is, the main idea. What is Jesus saying in this passage? I'm going to summarize it in one sentence, and then we'll break it down. Here's the main idea. Believers must cling to Christ so that our lives are transformed, our neighbors are impacted, our God is glorified, and our joy is full. I'll say it again. Believers must cling to Christ so that our lives are transformed, our neighbors are impacted, 
our God is glorified, and our joy is full. Now, we already talked about how Jesus is speaking to believers. He's speaking to his disciples, his inner circle. And so some of you in here, you are Christians. You are believers. So this applies directly to you. But some of you in here, you are not Christians. Maybe you're skeptics. Maybe you're seekers. I was a skeptic. I was a seeker at one point. But I wouldn't tune this message out just yet. Here's why. Maybe you've been presented with an idea of Jesus that isn't the real Jesus. Maybe you've been presented with an idea of Christianity that isn't really what Jesus defines Christianity as. And so today, if you want to see what Christianity is really like, we're going to see what Christ himself said about it. So let's go ahead and jump in to our main idea. Let's break it down and see what this means for our lives and if this is what Jesus is actually saying. So first point, believers must cling to Christ. Believers must cling to Christ. Look at verses 1 through 4. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So the word here is abide. I use the word cling in our sentence, but the word is abide. Jesus says, hey, guys, the darkest time of your life is coming. Here's the one thing I want you to know. Here's the main idea. Here's the big picture. Abide in me. He uses the word 10 times in 11 verses. Now, men, maybe you've learned this if you've been married long enough. If your wife repeats something over and over again, (laughs) it may be important, right? It took me two years of marriage. I figured that one out. I'm catching on quick, real quick. So in the Bible, when you're interpreting the scriptures, you want to see what Jesus was actually saying. Look for words and ideas that are repeated often. And Jesus uses this same word over and over and over again. It's almost like he's trying to nail home a point into his disciples' heads right before everything hits them. He's saying, abide in me. Cling to me. So what does it mean to abide? I think sometimes we can take Christian phrases and we can assume that we all know the definition of them and we, we say, oh, well, faith, hope, and love. And, but, but what does that word really mean? What does abide really mean? The definition of abide means to be committed to, connected to, in agreement with. But I think the best way to describe the word abide is to look at the picture that Jesus paints for this word. He says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. Abide in me. Connect yourself to me. Cling tightly to me. Now, the New Testament authors are going to use a few different words to describe what the Christian life is like because this is the essence of the Christian life, abiding in Christ. Paul in Colossians 2.6 is going to say, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Jesus in John 10, a little bit before our passage, says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So to abide in Christ, to cling to Christ, to hold fast to Christ, is to follow Christ. It is to walk with Christ. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you're following someone, that takes active effort, right? If you're going to follow a path that someone is setting before you, it takes focus, it takes effort, it takes laser vision towards that person, that goal, that thing, especially when the road gets rocky and it gets dark, right? So Jesus is saying, listen, this is the crux of what it means to be my disciple. This is what it means to follow me. Listen, we are all here, and if we want to see what Christianity is really like, it's abiding in Jesus, connecting to Jesus, being a branch to the true vine. But I want you to notice something. Notice Jesus says true vine. 
true vine. He doesn't say only vine. True vine. Which means there are other false vines out there. So my question to you today is, what vine have you attached yourself to? What have you put your roots in in order to gain satisfaction, in order to gain fulfillment, in order to gain purpose? What is it that you have trusted in, that you bank your life on, that if it was taken away from you today, you couldn't live without it? Is it money? Do you think that if you can just accrue enough financial security and a pile enough of money that's big enough, then you will be happy? Is it success? If people can just see you lifted up and successful, then maybe I'll be fulfilled and I'll have purpose in my life. Is it your spouse? Do you put them in the place of God and place them upon the altar and sacrifice your time with Jesus to please your spouse? Is it your kids? Is your entire life so much about your children that you can't even look up to the God who is supposed to sustain you? Is it the opinions of other people? The makeup industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. Makeup's not bad. We have filters on Snapchat and Instagram. We have social media personas where we portray ourselves a certain way. And my question is, can we take that thing and make it a vine that we have attached ourselves to? Can we receive satisfaction, nourishment, hope, love, joy from the opinions of others? Because let me tell you, when life hits you, they will be nowhere to be found. What have you attached yourself to? What are you seeking enjoyment from? What are you worshiping? that's what it is, right? If we attach ourselves to something, put our roots into something, we're worshiping it. It becomes an idol in our lives. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to survive the storm, he's saying, listen to me, if you want to survive what's coming next and not just survive, but thrive through it, you must abide in me. I must be your source and your source alone. And that is the Jesus that is calling us today. So believers must abide in Christ. So how do we do that? What does it look like to abide in Christ? What does that, what does that mean practically for my, Blake, Blake, tomorrow morning when I wake up, how do I abide in Christ? Let's look at verses 9 and 10. Jesus is going to answer this question. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now notice, we're talking about rules, we're talking about commandments, we're talking about laws, but notice the rules, the laws, the commandments only come once you've already been attached to Jesus. Notice, you do not work your way up to God, then maybe if you do enough good works, they'll balance out your bad works and you can be attached to Jesus. Notice that you don't do enough good to, to outweigh your karmic debt so that you can be reincarnated as a new person with a better life. Notice that the good works don't come to get us to God, they come from God. Listen, you could not work your way up to God, so God worked his way down to you in the person of Christ Jesus. And so we don't bank on our own works to attach us to Christ. He says, you are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. By faith alone, by trusting in the finished works of Jesus, we are attached to Christ. And then he empowers us. And then he fills us, and then good things happen. So believers must abide in Christ, but what does that even look like to abide in Christ? Well, first, it means abiding in his word. It means abiding in the Bible, this word right here. I hear people all the time saying, well, I'm just waiting for God to speak to me. I say, he already has. 
right? If you give your kid a very general command and you say, go clean your room, and they don't do it, and they come back and say, Dad, I really just want to know what you want me to do. <laughs> I already told you to clean your room. What do you mean? Go clean it, right? Right, and so sometimes we're looking for a very specific word from God when we haven't yet heard the general word from God. Abide in his word. Abiding in Christ means abiding in prayer. Pastor Jeremy says it all the time. It's, it's, prayer is communicating with God for the purpose of connecting with God. So, so Jesus, just like any relationship, if we want to abide in, cling tightly to, hold fast to Jesus, we have to communicate with Jesus and we have open access through his shed blood to God. We can talk to him. And abiding in Christ means abiding in community. We need each other, right? How many of you have been through a trial in your life and you realize it makes it worse if you're alone? Come on. So listen, I'm going to go ahead and plug some things here at the church because I love my life groups, but you need to be in a life group. If you want to survive the storms that are coming your way, you need people around you who can remind you to abide in Jesus, who can help you to cling to Christ when things get hard. Life group launch is coming up this fall, and you can be a part of a life group. Or maybe some of you, you've been coming to Journey for some time, and you need to get connected to the church as a whole, and you need to take the growth track. You need to come to that class, step one, which is August 4th, and you need to sign up and come, and you need to learn what is Journey all about? What, what does Journey do? Who are the pastors? What are, they, what are they doing? What's the mission of Journey? Maybe you need to get connected through our growth track. Maybe you need to go sign up online and, and get in godly community so that they can help you cling to Christ. So believers must cling to Christ so that, point two, our lives are transformed. Our lives are transformed. Look with me at verse five. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is the result of this abiding, of this clinging? It's fruit, right? Now, obviously, we're not talking about physical fruit, right? Like, you're not going to grow apples. I actually made that joke in J-Kids, and I said, are you going to grow apples on your head? Is that what the fruit of the Spirit is? And this little girl goes, no. Jeez, <laughs> thanks. I was just trying to talk to you about Jesus, okay? But she knew it, right? Because we all know when it says fruit, it doesn't mean fruit, right? It means the result of something, right? So let me tell you a little story. When I was in high school, you may look at me now. You can tell I'm not a muscular guy, right? I'm not... No one is coming to me for personal training, right? I mean, that's just, it's not going to happen. Well, when I was in high school, I was even skinnier than this. <gasps> I know, right? Like, believe it or not, I was, I mean, I was a twig. I mean, if the wind blew the wrong way, I was getting knocked over. Like, it was done, right? Well, I determined when I graduated that I was going to get swole. Y'all, I was determined. I was going to get so buff that my muscles would have muscles growing out of their muscles. I wanted to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 80s swole, okay? I was going to get buff. So naturally, I did what every 18-year-old does who's never worked out before. I went to GNC, and I bought every supplement on the rack, y'all. I spent like too much money on these stuff. I bought protein. I bought BCAAs. I bought creatine. I bought chemicals I can't pronounce. And I pumped them into my body. And I said, I'm going to go to the gym. I said, yo, Pastor Tyler. He wasn't a pastor then, but I said, yo, Tyler, let's go to the gym. He said, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so we're at BRCC. It's our first semester of college. And instead of going to class, we're going to the gym and then sleeping in our cars and eating McDonald's. So we didn't even, I don't even remember what classes I took that semester, I don't know. But don't, y'all stay in school. So, uh, if there's any kids in here. But uh, 
So I go to the gym, I'm working hard, I'm lifting weights, I'm pumping iron, I'm in there four, five, six days a week, we're getting it, man, we're, ooh, we're, we're all, we're bowed up and we're ready to go, right? Well, then I start to get a little discouraged. You ever had this happen? Right, because I look in the mirror, ain't nothing changed. Like, I put on like two pounds of water weight or something, I don't know. And so I did, you know, I, I kept at it, but man, I, for a whole month and nothing happened, I don't know. So... I did what any 18-year-old millennial college student would do when faced with adversity. I quit. I quit. I just put, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm done with that. It's too much hard work. I ain't seeing no results. I want the muscles. But the problem was I wanted the fruit. I didn't want the root. Notice that. I wanted the result. I didn't want to abide in that which would bring about the results. And so often, this is what self-help culture does. It says you can have the results. You can do it. You can bear fruit. You are strong enough. You are good enough. But it detaches it from the vine that is the source that gives us the fruit. And Jesus says, when life gets hard, if you are going to survive, if you are going to be transformed, to be a different person, a new creation, you need to abide in me. Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law let me ask you a question is that what your life looks like does your fruit does the result of your life look loving kind caring patient because if your fruit's not right what i would submit to you is don't focus on the fruit turn around and look at what you've attached yourself to and that will determine why your fruit is the way it is and so many of us are so hungry for transformation. We know deep down that something isn't right. I keep making the same mistakes. I keep yelling at my wife. I keep snapping at my kids. I keep watching that thing on the internet that I shouldn't. And yet we try to manipulate the fruit into place when really we have to attach ourselves more closely to the vine. A branch doesn't muster up enough strength to make fruit. A branch doesn't get its leaves in the right order and make itself pretty enough that maybe fruit will appear. A branch doesn't try to self-actualize and really just know my inner self better so that fruit will appear. A branch, a branch clings to the vine. A branch is a branch, and we were never made to be autonomous. We were made to be dependent on a God who works in and through us. Amen. Come on. So believers must cling to Christ so that our lives are transformed, our neighbors are impacted, our God is glorified, and our joy is full. Our next point is our neighbors are impacted. Point four, our neighbors are impacted. For this, let me ask you a question real quick. Y'all are very smart people. I like you guys a lot. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you a question. Does a tree eat its own fruit? That's not a trick question. <laughs> no, right? That's a ridiculous question. Who would even say something so ridiculous, right? Does a tree eat its own fruit? Here's the fact. Your fruit is not just for you. The fruit, the good works that God does in and through you when you attach yourself to Jesus, they are not just for you to look at and to enjoy. They are for those around you to eat of and be satisfied. So listen, some of you, you're praying for your children to be transformed. Some of you, you want your coworkers to be transformed. Some of you, you are hungry to make a difference in this world. And let me tell you, you cannot do it apart from Jesus. But when you attach yourself to Jesus, this is the wisdom of God. He transforms you, and then he uses your transformation to transform others. 
what would it be like if your children ate of the fruit of love and peace and patience in your life? What would it be like if your coworkers saw and enjoyed the kindness and the faithfulness that you exhibit because you're attached to Christ? What kind of impact could you make? What kind of legacy could you leave if that's what your fruit looked like? And today, this is the offer that Jesus is giving. He's saying, listen, the only way that true transformation will come, and the only way that it will last through the hard times of life, and the only way that you can transform those around you is if they see a little bit of me inside of you. If your actions and your words and the fruit that you bear points them back to the God who can do the same thing in their life. And that's the privilege that we have. Because everybody wants to help others, right? We all have that desire to make an impact, to leave this world and think that we did something with our time here. And the best way to do that is to cling to the God who made all of us and designed us for himself. Cling to Christ. Your families will be changed. Your workplace will be changed. Your community will be changed. Your church will be changed because of your obedience and your faithfulness and your hope in Jesus. So believers must cling to Christ so that our lives are transformed, our neighbors are impacted, and our God is glorified. Our God is glorified. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So this is one of those, those big Christian words, right? You hear Christians all the time, glory, glory, right? But, but sometimes we say things and we don't really know what they mean. So let's, let's unpack that word. If God is glorified, that means that God gets glory, right? Well, what does glory mean? Glory is the going public of who God is. I want to bring you to a verse in Isaiah that articulates this perfectly. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. I don't know if we're going to have it up there. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his Notice something, it doesn't say holiness. You would think if it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the whole earth is full of his, and you would expect it to say holiness, right? Because it said he's holy. Holy, transcendent, other, big, powerful, mighty, separate, beautiful. But it says the whole earth is full of his glory. See, the glory of God is the going public of his holiness. It is the outward display of his beautiful nature. Listen, when you bear fruit for God, you don't just impact those around you. You make Jesus look beautiful. You make God look desirable. You make God look awesome as he really is. And others can look at you and see God has changed them through Christ Jesus. And I can have the same thing. Praise be to that God who has transformed that person because they were lost and now they're found. They were a sinner and now they're saved. They were hurt and broken and now they are healed in Christ Jesus. You can have that and God can be glorified in your transformation. That is the God we serve. That is the God we serve. I love history and I love all things historical. Again, I'm a nerd. You don't have to judge me for it. But I, was, uh, I read often the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Catechism. It was written in 1649. And uh, it was written to affirm what this group of believers believed. There was a lot of heresy going around. And they said, this is what we believe. And then they created a catechism to teach their children what they believe. So a catechism is a series of questions and answers, right? You ask your child the question. They memorize the answer and recite it back to you. And this one question has caught the eye of every major theologian through history. The question is, what is the chief end of man? 
Or for what purpose is man created? Why are we here on this earth? What is the point of it all? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he created them to be his image bearers. That means they would go out into the rest of creation and they would show the world what God looks like. They would show the world how God acts. They would show what God's personality is like. They would be an exact representation of who his nature is. And my friends, through Jesus, we can have that pleasure now too. We can be a representation to the lost and hurting world of who God is, and they can see us and they can say, God must be great. Glory be to God. So believers must cling to Christ so that our lives are transformed, our neighbors are impacted, our God is glorified, and that brings us right to our last point. Our joy is full. Our joy is full. So Jesus ends his teaching on an encouraging note. Hours before he is to be arrested, put on a mock trial, beaten, abused, slandered, abandoned, right before his disciples are about to be scattered and locked away behind closed doors for fear of death. And Jesus ends it like this. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You know, I love that that quote from the Westminster Catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But there's a modern theologian named John Piper who wrote a book and he kind of remixed this statement. He, he changed one little word in there to, to change the meaning just a little bit and I think he got it right. So he says, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Not just to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, but to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And I think he might have gotten it from this passage because I want you to see how the glory of God and the joy of his people are woven together. Listen, when you cling to Christ, when you trust in Christ, when you abandon your works and cling to who Jesus is, he works through you, he transforms you, he transforms those around you, he gets the glory, and at the same exact time, you get the joy. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I needed that joy. There have been times in my life when people have betrayed me, when circumstances didn't work out, when the road ahead seemed so dark and so perilous, and I wondered how I would even survive, and God gave me a joy that abided through all of it. And listen to me, God is glorified when we enjoy him in our lives. God didn't create us to be robots, just branches to bear fruit. He created us to be even more than branches. He created us to enjoy him. God is the one who satisfies. And this true vine, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who is our Savior and our King, when we attach ourselves to him, we are filled with the Spirit. He abides in us, and we receive the fullness of joy that comes when God gets the glory in our lives. So let me ask you, what are you walking through today where you need joy? What are you walking through today where you need hope? What are you walking through today where your joy has faltered, where you feel like you're at the end of your wits, where you can't do it on your own strength? And if you're not walking through it now, I promise you, you will walk through it soon. If you've lived for any amount of time, you know life isn't easy. But God is good in the midst of it. And when we abide in Christ, we have his joy, and he gets the glory so that others can find that joy too. 
Why don't we all bow our heads today and close our eyes? I'm going to speak to three different groups of people in here that apply to this passage. And, you know, maybe you're here and uh, you've been clinging to Christ. You're a believer. You abide in him. You walk with him. You love him. You've placed your faith in him. And you are bearing fruit. You are looking like Jesus. And what Jesus is saying to you today through this passage, he says, anyone who bears fruit, the Father prunes. He cuts away branches. And maybe you're in here today and you have clung to Christ, you have abided in Christ, you are bearing fruit, and there are some things in your life that God has put his finger upon that he says, I want to take that away so that you will bear more fruit, so that you will have more joy, so that I will get more glory. Maybe it's a friendship, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a hobby that takes up too much of your time and takes you away from what God wants you to do. But whatever it is, maybe the Holy Spirit's put that on you already. And I, my encouragement to you today is to repent and to accept the pruning that God has for you so you can have more transformation, more glory for God, and more joy in your life. There's others of you in here, you are a believer. You've clung to Jesus. You've placed your faith in him. You recognize that you couldn't do it on your own, but now your fruit's starting to wither. Maybe it's gotten a little rotten. Maybe there's some bad fruit mixed in. And what I would ask you today is, are you clinging to Jesus as tightly as you could be? Or have you placed your hands on other vines? Are you clinging to other things that are bringing about rotten fruit in your life? Some of you here today need to recommit to cling to Christ even tighter through his word, through prayer, in his love that he has for you. There's a third group of you in here. Maybe, maybe if you were in this story, you would be on the outside of the vineyard. You wouldn't even be in the story. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you are religious. You have a code of morals that you try to live by to make God give you favor. Or maybe you're rebellious. You've never given a thought to God before. But you find yourself here today and you realize that you cannot survive this life without a source that is greater than yourself. I would encourage you, if that's you today, today is the day of salvation, declares the Lord. Today is the day of salvation, declares the Lord. You cannot work your way to God because God worked himself down to you. He did what you could not do. He died the death you deserve to die so that when you put your faith in him, your trust in him, when you cling to him, you are cleaned of all your sins, you are adopted, and you are brought into his family, and you are now a part of the vine, and he will work through you to transform your life. So if you fall into any of those categories today, I'm going to pray with you. And you know where you are. You know where you sit. And I encourage you, cling to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Worship Jesus and Jesus alone as the only source that can truly bring about the transformation that we so desperately need. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you have come and died for our sins so that we could be united to you, not based on our own merit, but based upon the works of your son, Jesus. God, I pray for all my friends here who fall into any of those categories. God, I pray that all of us would commit our lives to clinging more tightly to Jesus. That, God, you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would empower us, that you would rescue us from the, from the bad fruit that we bear and from the legalism that we try and walk in and from the self-help that we cling to, God, that we would experience true transformation in our lives. Transformation that transforms others. Transformation that brings you glory and that gives us unspeakable, deeply rooted joy. 
God, I pray for all my friends here today who do not trust in you. God, I pray they would place their faith in Jesus so that when the storms of life come, they will be sustained by the true vine who loves and cares for us. God, we love you and we praise you. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Well, come on, let's give Jesus a hand clap today, church. Come on. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, I ended a little bit early, so don't anybody leave out just yet. Uh, we're going to respond to the word today, right? Pastor Kelly talked a few weeks ago about the word requires a response. So I wanted to give you guys a moment. I invited the worship team back up to respond to what God is doing, to praise him for how glorious and wonderful he is, to recommit your life to him and to worship him because he's worthy of it. So why don't we all stand to our feet and let's take this time, just a few minutes. The kids are fine. You'll get out the parking lot, okay. Let's worship Jesus together, amen?